give it up for the worship team one more time, can we? Good job. Whew. How many of you are leftovers? You're leftovers from the conference. Wow, a lot of you. Where's our people? So good to see in the overflow room our people are, our our people wandered in and they're in the overflow room. Yeah, it hailed at my house about a half an hour before the service, and as soon as it hailed, my dog ran outside. He's like he lo- like I brought him in because it was hailing. He's like, oh no no. He grabbed his ball, ran outside, and was throwing it to himself in the hail. <laughs> he's he's a seven month old, hundred pound German Shepherd that doesn't know he's big. So then I had mud all over my pants, I noticed during worship, because anyway, fun was had by all, to be young again. You, you started me at 44 minutes. Can you fix that, or is that by decree from above me? Yeah, turn, Bill said, turn it down to 40. I'll take 44, it's good. Um, I had this vision of somebody, um, I uh, saw, um, I think you were having something with your heart, I saw them take uh, an operation that, where they take you, cut your ribs and open you up, and uh, I think you died on the operating table, or, or your heart stopped, or something on the operating table. Is that somebody in this room? Would you stand up if it is, please? I have a word for you. Is that you? Hmm. What's your name? Heidi? Like highly favored? <laughs> that, that works right there. You got your own word. Um, I, I believe the Lord has given you a courageous heart to um, uh, uh, see uh, a, a storm around you. It's a good storm. I see wherever you go, there's this good storm that it's the wind of the Spirit that like, just circulates around you. And I see a move of God flowing out of you that, uh, that is being described in, uh, in articles and in blogs and eventually in books. And uh, I see a whole bunch of women just laying on the floor around you. And I see like signs like Moses' signs, like it raining indoors and things happening, miraculous kind of things. And I believe uh, that the Lord's given you, uh, Rome, I'm sorry, um, 1 Corinthians 12 says that there are actually workers of miracles. And I just release over you a, a mystical kind of Holy Spirit gift, um, like that you would see in the heavens, that you could, um, that you could uh, see angels, that the Lord would use you mightily, and he brought you back from the dead for a purpose. I was thinking about Bob Jones, who went to, died and went to heaven, and the first time he stayed there, I think the third time he's there now. But the Lord asked him the first time, did you learn to love? And I see you like, I see compassion just flowing out of you like a river. I see the Lord restoring your relationship that you're concerned about. And I just bless your relationship. It's a season of reconciliation. Um, miraculous restoration. Extraordinary Acts 19 miracles. So, Lord, we bless what you're doing in Jesus' name. And we pray for a complete and total restoration that everything that was lost in the fire would be found in the ashes. That he'd bring beauty for ashes. In Jesus' name, amen. There was another person, too? I'm sorry, was there two people? Oh, stand up. Are you standing? Where are you? Oh, okay. Awesome. What's your name? My name's Jared Wendell. Jared? Yeah. Awesome. Where are you from? Uh, I'm from Redding, California. You're from Redding, California. You you mean like you were born here? I I was actually born and raised here. I'm I'm actually very, very proud of myself. (laughs) Very proud of yourself for uh, for being one of the few people who aren't transit here? Mm. And, uh, before I had went to jail, me and my dad were best friends, and we were both bringing each other down in life. And uh, my dad had gotten out of prison, and that's how I got back together with my dad. And I moved with my grandma and grandpa 
before my dad while he was in prison. Wow. So good. And uh, while I was in jail, my dad had moved to Oregon. And while I was in jail, Visions of the Cross accepted me back and gave me permission to get back into the program. So I'm in the program now. I've been there for five days. Awesome. And my dad is in Oregon. We're not. Good. I'm not together with him anymore. Hooked to his leg as a 27-year-old father myself, being a little baby. Did you have an operation in your heart? Um, I have grand mal seizures, and they shocked me. Mm. Um, I, fla- I got flatlined. Got it. And uh, they brought me back to life. Cool. Can you, I just have some folks, uh, the folks that are standing around him, would you just lay your hands on him right there? I want us to just lay your hands on him right there. Stay standing. Would you stay standing? Because we're going we're gonna to extend our faith to you right here. Someone and we thank, we thank the Lord for you, and we thank the Lord for new beginnings. And this is, a, uh, you know, Bill declared that this is the year of breakthrough, and it's the year of new beginnings. And so we release that over you in Jesus' name, and we say, uh, in, the, in the book of Joel, there's a prophecy there that's a, a little bit, um, it's kind of illustrative, and it says, with the cankerworm eaten and the locust destroyed, the Lord's going to return. And, and then it goes on to say that those, what the cankerworm eaten and has eaten and the locust destroyed, it calls it years, the years. So we, we call for the years that were destroyed in your life, and we say that these years will be better than your former years. They'll be better than you ever dreamed of. And Lord, we just pray that, you'd, that you would give him strength to build healthy boundaries around him, and that you would put a father in his life that could speak to him, a spiritual father, a Barnabas that could lead him and guide him and disciple him. Lord, we pray that you'd put a new Holy Spirit family around him, a community that could protect him and give him wisdom and feed him the word of God. And Lord, we thank you that this man is never going to fall again. He's never going to fall again. Um, Here's a verse for you. There's only one chapter in the book of Jude, so look up the book of Jude tonight. It's in the New Testament. And the last verse of that chapter says, of the only chapter in the book of Jude, says, Now unto him who's able to keep you from stumbling. So I I, um, grabbed a hold of that verse in a really dark time in my life when I had no confidence in myself. And the Lord said to me, I want you to read this verse. And I got this verse and he said, I'm the one who's going to keep you from falling from this day forward. You can trust me. And I want to say, the Lord says to you, I'm saying, the Lord says to you through the book of Jude, and I'm also telling you, by the word of the Lord, the Lord's telling you, just trust me, I got you covered. So we bless you in Jesus' name. Awesome. Grab a hand, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this gentleman and who's having a new start. We thank you for all the people in here having new things, a new season, a new time. Lord, I, just, I pray for just the spirit of revelation to be in the room. I pray, God, that you would take us deeper. Especially in understanding the season we're in and stirring the favor that's in our life. Amen. Um, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 25. I want to talk about stirring favor in your city. We are going through, um, those of you that are guests, quite a few guests tonight, we're going through a unique season in our life. Um, I think we've been on this journey for actually years and years and years, even in our little town in Weaverville, uh, a town of around 3,000 people. We, we, uh, we were navigating uh, some of the things that we're learning now. And I'm thankful that, uh, that we, uh, as a people uh, here at Bethel, we're, we're, in a small, we're in a small community of about... There's about uh, 90,000 people in our community, maybe a little less than that. 
And, and, and we have, on an average weekend, about 9,000 people attend here. Um, lots of them are visitors. On a school of about 2,400 people. And what I, well, the reason I'm giving you numbers is that um, numerically, we have a, 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 the ability to really influence our city. In that, you know, somewhere around 7 or 8% of the population uh, allow us to influence them locally. And then we have lots of friends who have wonderful churches in town. We have a great, uh, great relationship with about 100 of the 110 churches in our community. And um, there's some really powerful churches in our community. Aren't you glad that when God blesses you, he doesn't take it from someplace else? Yeah. That's just small thinking that, oh, you know, the, this church is sucking the, uh, the environment uh, dry. It's like, no, no, we have lots of really prospering churches in our town. And as a matter of fact, when a, some of our students graduate, and a lot of our students graduate, they, uh, they go to the Stirring or one of the other churches, and we just really encourage that. We really want to feed the churches in our community because we believe that God's doing, a, a, he has one, one church in our city. And so we're, we're a part of that, and we, um, you know, we get to play a significant role, but so does everybody else. And so um, we're, we're learning how to navigate our favor. And so um, on this journey, some years ago, I'm just going to talk to you and tell you some stories and and um, I just what I'd like to do is just I, some of the things that we're learning. I say learning because we're on a pretty steep learning curve in the influence of our city. We're we're making lots of mistakes and we're stepping back a lot. And well, well, we could have done that differently. And I I hear that a lot in our, amongst our own teams and in my coming out of my own mouth. Wow, we that <laughs> there was a better way to do that. And uh, sometimes it just comes from you know, not explaining what we're thinking very well. Or, thinking everybody knows what we're thinking, just those kind of things. And then, then sometimes we just do things that, well, there's, there, that was pretty costly. We could have done that uh, a different way. So, but about, I think, I think uh, forever, but around 15 years ago, we started having um, a real, we started learning a lot more about the apostolic in the way it influences cities. And one of the things we learned, and I'm sorry, this is going to be a lot of repeat for our, our people who are here all the time, um, I, don't, I don't, don't know that I have anything new to say. I just want to put it together in what I feel the Lord's sharing for us tonight. We, we started learning that apostles transform culture. That the word apostle actually means to be sent. It means sent one, but it actually means be, to be sent from a place to another place. To, 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 um, to transform the place that you're sent to until it looks like the place you're sent from. Simply put, it means to transform culture. So one of the things that we've, what we've learned is that apostles are fathers, they're, they're builders, there's lots of different, um, there's lots of different uh, definitions um, around the, the title apostle. But one of the most important things that apostles do, and maybe at the very root of apostles, is the ability to transform culture. And so we have, we have felt that we have a mandate on our, on our house this because we, we, we actually believe that this is an apostolic house to actually help transform our city. And ultimately, that, that, that um, prayer, the Lord's Prayer, especially the line where it says that it be on earth as it is in heaven, that has been, I'd say that's our, our main motto for our body, that we would see earth come to heaven until heaven, until earth becomes like heaven. And I know that, you know, um, it's really important that we see people saved to heaven. But how many know that Jesus was more concerned about getting the kingdom in you than getting you to heaven? Because if he gets the kingdom in you, how many know you're going to get to heaven? No problem. And so um, on this journey about, I think around 13, 14, 15 years ago, we started asking really hard questions. And uh, part, of the, part of it, I, I was stimulating some of that conversation. We, we all were. Bill was doing the same. That I was studying... Um, I was studying cities in our nation for the book I wrote, Heavy Rain. And actually, I had uh, my, my uh, assistant um, do some statistical studies of American cities, and I learned this, and if you, you've probably heard it if you've been around here for a while, but it was shocking to me. In fact, I remember when he brought the information to me. And what we learned is this, is that the more people that go to a Christian church in any given city, the worse off the social statistics are. In other words, crime rises as people gather, as Christians gather in churches. Crime rises, the, the, uh, the divorce rate rises. In other words, as 
we, as more people get saved and come to church, the city, even though the people are better off, the church is better off, the city gets worse and worse. And as we started studying in the, in the um, Heavy Rain book, I call it the huddle effect. You know, Jesus said, no one takes a light and puts it under a basket. How many understand the only way that a room, it can get darker in one place when it gets brighter in another? Like, if I turn a light up in here, it's not going to get darker in some corner, right? The only way it can get darker and lighter at the same time is I take the light and I put it under a basket. <laughs> then I can turn it the light up, and the, it'll get brighter and brighter in the basket, but how many know it can, get, it can still be darker outside? But how many know Jesus didn't say, I'm the light of the church? So when we say, well, the world's going to get darker while the church gets brighter, how many know that's, that means the light's in the wrong place? Because Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So Jesus said, no one takes a light and puts it under a basket, but they light it and they put it on a Lampstand, And the next verse says, and, and, and you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill that can't be hidden. So how many understand that if it's getting brighter in the church and darker outside, it means the church has become a basket? Because the light's not supposed to be in the church. Oh, well, you know, I'm exaggerating. Light should be in the church. But how many know the, the emphasis is that you're the light of the world? So it's really important that we become the light of the world. Um, interesting, I was, um, let me see, I find it right here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, and then Jesus goes on to say this, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, this, that's an interesting verse. Uh, tonight I was, just, I was actually wanting to have the second part of that verse, do your works in such a way that you, they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But the verse says, let your light shine before men in such a way. In other words, how many understand that you're not glowing? When Jesus said, you're the light of the world, you, don't, you still need a flashlight. I don't know if I'm being... I'm not trying to be silly. I'm saying, what is light? Well, here Jesus connects good works to light. He said, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine before men in such a way. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works... How many know he just said light was good works? They see your good works and they glorify your Father who is in heaven. What I'm getting at is this, is that one way people get a revelation, how many know we're light, we're revelation, and we're salt, we're preservation. One way that people get revelation is when they see our good works. No, when they see our good works that are done in such a way. In other words, sometimes it's not extraordinary works, but it's ordinary works just done in a way no one's ever seen before. People go, I've never seen anyone sweep the street like that. I've never seen anybody, you know, and they begin to repeat, not so much the work, but the way the work is done. So we started asking ourselves really hard questions, like, hey, uh, at the time, by the way, 15 years ago, the the front page of our newspaper, every year, usually in January, our... Record Searchlight, which is our only newspaper we have in, in our town, um, reports the statistical study, statistical um, the statistics for wholeness. There's, let me start over. <laughs> Nationally, in America, they use 10 uh, markers for, for wholeness in cities. So there's 10 different markers, like, for instance, um, the uh, unemployment rate the crime rate, the violent crime rate, the, um, the divorce rate. So these are statistics that our, our government actually uses to measure how healthy your city is. Fifteen years ago, and, every, and, they, and they come out usually at the around the end of January. And our newspaper, Reading Searchlight, prints those statistics and writes a little article about it, typically every year, which I didn't actually know. And I was teaching that Sunday morning on... Apostles, I was doing a series on apostles, and my message for that morning was, Apostles Restore Cities. And I, I happened to take the newspaper, and I picked it up on, in my driveway, and I threw it in the front seat, and it unfolded, and the front page said something like this, Redding, California, one of the worst cities in America to live in. So I got to my office, and I looked at the article, it was about that big, it was on the front page, and it went through this 10 social statistics 
of wholeness, the way they measure wholeness, and out of 10, we were worst of eight in cities 100,000 or less. And so I read the article to our congregation, and I asked our congregation, is this our problem or the fact that it's not our problem the problem? In other words, when we pray our Father, are we praying me and my three? How big is our Father? And so if it's going to be on earth as it is in heaven, it doesn't say, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done in the church as it is in heaven. If God just cared about the church, then I could just care about me and my three. But So I read the article and it was so opposite of everything I was teaching that morning. In other words, I was going to share about how Reading's becoming an apostolic city. Then I'm like, wait a second, the apostolic part's in walls. But even though we've been healing the sick in our community for probably years before we ever got here, this, this church is over 50 years old, and great stuff happened before we ever got here. But I mean, school ministry was going out every week into the streets. We were hearing crazy miracles, people getting out of wheelchairs, cancer healed. I mean, just amazing miracles. And yet, our city's social statistics were terrible. And we said, okay, we've healed the sick, we feed the poor. And I'm, I know they were feeding the poor long before I got here and long before Bill got here. I mean, this church has been a, a very benevolent church for all the years that I know of. I mean, they fed the poor. Bill was a young man here in the salt house reaching out to the broken and the poor. I mean, this church has a long reputation for touching the poor, as does many other churches in our community. And some people doing it better than us. So I'm like... We're touching the poor, we're feeding the poor, we're busting the poor in. We have a feast for them every Christmas. We bust them in on the weekends. We feed them about, I think, four or five days a week. Not only that, but lots of other churches do the same. And we're seeing miracles on the streets, not pretend miracles, real miracles. Not just headaches disappear, even though that's important. We're seeing real miracles, and yet our social statistics are terrible. And so we started asking ourselves, like, how do we fix this? And... So we started doing, we started, first thing we did is we went and talked to our, some of the city officials and we started giving into our city, financially giving into our city. And then we started saying, how can we help? And we started every, almost every staff meeting, every senior leadership meeting, oh, that's probably exaggerating. Most senior leadership meetings, the subject began to be around how do we help our city? How do we change our city? In the midst of all of that, um, they were, we had a prophetic word about um, a particular building in town. This guy called me from Australia and said, I think the Lord's going to give you a building. It's all concrete. It's shaped like a chimney. Well, if you live in Reading and someone says, hey, there's, someone's going to give you an all-concrete building shaped like a chimney, there's only one building in, in Reading like that. This is Civic Auditorium. And so anyway, through a series of prophetic um, encounters and through... Uh, one of our board members, who's now a city councilwoman, um, we, we went to the city and asked if we could take over the city. You know, would you like to rent the city, the civic auditorium? And we you know there just some things happened, and they're like, no, no, we're not interested in renting it. So a year went by, and, and about a year later, the front page of the newspaper one morning said, Civic Auditorium closes. I'm like, closes? No, no, no. No, no, we can't lose our civic auditorium. So anyway, through a, a whole long this is a really long story, but we, we end up developing a non-profit, non-religious, public benefit corporation, Reading, we, I'm sorry, Bethel does, and we go to the city, it's called Advanced Reading, and we go to the city and we say, we'd like to take over the Civic Auditorium, we'll open it up for um, you know, secular events, we'll put our school in there in the, in, the, in the afternoons, in the mornings and afternoons, and we'll rent it out at night and on the weekends, and so through... A lot of dialogue and through a very funny story, which I don't have time to tell tonight, um, they ended up giving us that Civic Auditorium. We lease it for 25000 a month. So it was losing $1.8 million a year, of which they, had, they were laying off firemen and, and police officers to cover the building costs. They couldn't lay any more off. They actually closed one, whole, one, one department, fire department, laid off, I forget how many police. And so we started, we said, we will take no money, and we will pay you $25,000 a month. And we put, I think by now, I think, 
I think we have about almost a million dollars in, in renovations that we've done ourselves. And um, the third year, this is, I think, year five that we've had it. The third year, we actually um, got a, from the city accreditation, and they said, this is the best this, this Civic's ever been run in 43 years. And so we've tried to do our best to make it excellent. We started putting um, our people to work in the streets. Our school ministry, we have 2,100 students now. We, we, try to, we put all of our students to work in outreach every week, and about more than 1,000 of them work in the streets in what's called city projects. We have a full-time team that their full-time job is to interact with the city to find out what the city wants done, not what we want done. And, um, and we bought about $350,000, $400,000 worth of equipment, and we put our students to work in the city doing things like, there's, you know, the glass bridge? I don't know if you've seen the glass bridge. We clean that bridge. Like, we literally hang from a wire and clean the bridge. Yeah, it was filthy, and the city said, well, if you want to do something, clean the bridge. And, like, we actually had to go to classes and get certified to do it. We had to buy equipment to do it. And, and so we built a park two years ago. And I'm just telling you, like, so this is what we do. And I, every year, um, I, get to, I get to speak to our... Um, our uh, city team, our young, not, they're not all young, I get to speak to our students who go out into our city um, and, and, uh, and give them kind of a cast vision time. So I stand up on the back of a flatbed truck and they gather around, a couple hundred of them at a time, and I stand up and I tell them, I share with them the vision for doing practical work in our city. About... Uh, you know, I do it every year, so last year, a bunch of our city officials came. So Keith Elvord, our guy who's on, in charge of our city teams, he invited some city officials to come. So I get there, and I jump up on the truck, and Keith's like, hey, notice all the city officials are here? I'm like, what are they doing here? He said, they want to hear what you have to say to the students. <laughs> okay. So I started... I read that verse that I just read to you. Do your good works in such a way that people see your good works and they glorify your Father in heaven. And I started telling them about how Michelangelo saw the angel, an angel in the stone, and he carved and said, free. And I started, I had shared with them the story of Solomon and how the Queen of Sheba came from hundreds, probably thousands of miles with a whole entourage to see the wisdom of Solomon. And when she got there, she saw the way the waiters were dressed the way their table was set, and how he had a staircase from, his house, from God's house to his house, from his house to God's house. And she said, only half of your wisdom was told me. And I started talking to them about, you know what, you, you're either chipping rock or you're freeing angels. And the difference is not what you're doing, but what you think you're doing. And I started telling them, I said, what would happen if you raped like Solomon's Waiters waited on tables. What would happen if you, if you trimmed trees? If you trimmed trees the way Michael carved stone? And I started telling them, you may think that raking leaves is not spiritual, but I'm telling you that we're changing our city, not by what you do, but by the way you do it. When I got off the back of the truck, all the officials were weeping. Several of them not believers. I went to my car. Two of them caught me at my car. And, now, and they said this to me. In unison. Two of them. They said, now we understand what it is Bethel's doing. We didn't understand. Now we understand what Bethel's doing. And, the, and, then, and then the other one said this. Now I understand why when I drive by your students working that they're enthusiastic and happy. Because they don't think they're raking leaves. They think they're changing the world. I said to them, thank you very much, but let me just say this, they're not raking leaves. They are changing the world. So... We're pretty excited about what we're doing. And our city has a lot of long ways to go. We're, we're in the midst of a 
you know, we came out of the financial crisis and our, our economy starting to improve very slowly. And, um, and then on top of that, we had a, this, uh, California had this uh, release program for prisoners. They, they passed two different uh, um, propositions. I think it's 39 and 49, I think it was, and, uh, which turned uh, felonies into misdemeanors, which released uh, lots of prisoners back to, and those prisoners got released back to the counties that they were arrested in. And our police department and sheriff's department in the early, late, uh, you know, two, early 2000s um, was really, you know, they, they had a war on crime and they were arresting lots of people and cleaning up our streets. Well, when the, when the, prisoner, when the prisons, when they started lowering the population of the prisons, we got, a, you know, exponentially more prisoners back than most counties did. And we have... Uh, not very many police. We already we already have a shortage of uh, police and sheriffs. So, um, you know, all right away, our crime rate started to rise again. And so we have we have serious problems. And the other day, we um, in our newspaper that that uh, I think it was probably about a month ago, we were we were reading the newspaper on a Tuesday morning, and Kathy said, "Look at this. They're going to lay off five, four or five policemen and seven firemen because um, they were." operating on a grant, and the grant is ended, and we tried to pass a half-cent tax to cover the firemen and the policemen, but it didn't pass. So in July, we're laying off five more policemen. And so I saw that, and I'm like, oh my goodness, we already have a crime problem. Now we're going to release five more. We're going to terminate five more or four more police officers. We can't have that. And I came to the SLT team, our senior leadership team, and I said, these guys see this? And like, oh, we need to do something about this. And anyway, this last week... We, um, we decided to give $250,000 this year and $250,000 next year. And by the way, we need about a million, too. So we're just saying, okay, let's be a catalyst to a generous revival. Yeah. It's interesting what Bill was sharing because um, that generosity, like you can't separate generosity from revival. I was actually in my notes, Acts 2.42 this is about two years after the resurrection of Christ. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. About two years later, Acts chapter 4, verse 32, And the congregation of those who believed was in one heart and one soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to them was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them. For all who had own, were owners of lands or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay it at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as they had need. There's really powerful verses. And what I'm getting at is this, and it was Bill's point that he made during the offering, is I, you can't separate a move of God from generosity. And uh, one of the things that I, I think that's important is that you know, we're about to build a, a building that's going to be probably $90 million down the street. We start next year. And um, we have a big project. And we can't build that on the back of our city in trouble. In other words, we can't build a building instead of help our city. We have to do both. We have to think like kings. We have to think God has more than enough. <laughs> so what does it look like when we're building a building and the city doesn't think we care? Like, we have to do our works, including our good work of building an apostolic center. We have to do our work in a way that our city rejoices with us. And they go, those guys are amazing. Look at the building they're building. They're, they care about us. They help us. And we're not doing that instead of helping our city. So it's really important that we do our work in a way that, um, that honors our city. Turn to, um, I had you turn to Matthew chapter 25. We're just going to go to chapter, Luke uh, chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. 
While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, A noble man went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. He called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas, it's about $500, and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent, him, sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves, he ordered these slaves to whom he had given money to be called so that they might know, so he might know what business they had done. The first appeared, saying, Master, your mida has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in very little things. You will have authority over ten cities. Did you get that? Let me just put it in perfect English. Because you have been faithful with $500, you will have authority over ten cities. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, You are to be over five cities. Another came saying, Master, here is your mina which I kept, and I put it away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you were an exacting man, and you take up what you do not lay down, and you reap what you do not sow. And he said to him, By your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you not know that I'm an exacting man, taking up where I did not lay down and reap where I did not sow? Then why did you not put the money in the bank, and having come, I would have collected it with interest? Then he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him, and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. <laughs> I'll make a comment, but I won't. <laughs> I tell you that everyone who has, more shall be given. But from him who does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. This is a really interesting um, parable. The parable of the talents. I want to contrast the parable of the talents, which we didn't read. I'll just tell you about it. The parable of the talents, first of all, a talent is um, $30,000. A mite is $500. So you can see there's a big contrast in the amount of money people were given. It says in the parable of talents that they were given money according to their ability. But the parable of the minas, they were just given each $500, all the same. Do you understand where I'm going? The parable of the talents, when the, when the man who got five and made five more came, he said, Master, I have made you five more talents. And he said, good, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. I will put you in charge of many things. The one who had three came back and he, in other words, he got $90,000, and he made another 90000 And the master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. I'll put you over more things. And, of course, the one who you know, kept, you know, dug a hole and kept it, he got the same thing happened to him. It was taken from him and given to the one who had the most. The point is this. In the ter- parable of the talents, they said to the master, Master, I have made you. You have given me this many, and I, in my effort, have made you more. And they got rewarded with being over things. In the parable of the minas, they, the two guys that made money said, Master, your $500 has made 5000 Not I made it, your money made it. Did you get that? Over here, I was a good steward. It's all about me. I did it well. And he goes, that's great. You'll be rewarded. You'll be over things. Master, your $500 has made you $5,000. Master, your $500 have made you $3,000. How many understand when you can figure out how to create ecosystems where money makes money, then you should be over cities. And what I'm getting at is this. This is the only strategy in the New Testament for seeing cities actually restored. Is what you do with money. (laughs) People are afraid to talk about money. You understand the only strategy in the entire New Testament about city taking is about people who were faithful to create an ecosystem that where people prospered in the ecosystem. And Jesus said to the guy whose money made money, hey, if you can do that, you should be over 10 cities. Why? Because God wants cities to prosper. And if you can create an ecosystem where while you're sleeping, your money's making money. How many understand 
then if you can make $500, make $5,000, you should be leading cities because God wants cities to prosper. And when you, when you're, you learn how to, money makes money, you learn how ecosystems actually create wealth. There are wealthy ecosystems. There is the power to make wealth. Are you with me? And what I'm getting at is this, is that sometimes we shy away from talking about money and we don't realize like the only strategy Jesus ever gave was about money. And by the way, Jesus talked more about money than about hell, about heaven, about any other thing. So I'd like to propose to you that we should live in a prosperous city. And when we serve a city, it should be for the benefit of the city. I love seeing people come to Jesus. I love, I love when people come to Jesus. I, one of my, my really good friends um, here today, he came to Jesus this week. I've known his family from Lafia for years and years. He's so excited about Jesus. Ugh, I've just known him since he was 10 years old. He's, or, or 11, he's 23 now, or 20 years old now. And it's exciting seeing someone come to Jesus. But how many understand that when we serve our city, it has to be without an agenda? How many understand when we serve our city, it has to be for the benefit of our city? If we're serving Nebuchadnezzar, it can't be like so we can lead him to the Lord. Like, that's great. Ultimately, he needs to be led to the Lord. But how many understand that when we come without an agenda and we just love people just because we love them? How many know the greatest strategy in the world is just loving people because we love them? Not loving them so they'll pray a prayer. Not loving them so we can tell our friends, you know, we led them to the Lord. But just loving them because they deserve to be loved. I want to finish the next few minutes just by saying this, that loving a city is messy. So when we, you know, the newspaper picked up the story about us giving 250000 and we got lots of great comments. Our people are just beautiful and wonderful. You are some of our people. And I started getting text messages and emails and Facebook posts. But a few people were very much like, I give tithes. You're not, you're not giving my tithe to the, to the city for the police, are you? I don't want my, my money going to the police department. And I mean, I don't think people were being rude or anything. I don't think they were being nasty. I think they were just concerned. And I want to say this, like, funding police is spiritual. We're not funding the police instead of funding missions. We're funding the police and funding missions. We didn't take $1 from Heidi Baker. We didn't take $1 from Tracy Evans. We didn't take $1 from anybody. We were doing it plus. We're doing pressed down, shaken together, running out all over. Somebody said, you can't afford to give a half a million dollars to the Please, when we're building a building, we can't afford not to. We don't have $100 million to build a building. We have eight. Best thing we can do is give. And if people don't want a city restored, they're in the wrong church. I mean, this is not a new thing. We've been doing this for years. Thank you. Glad he didn't have a gun. I'd be dead. <laughs> I think some of our people were surprised because most of our giving's in secret. We don't make a big fanfare about it. And, the, and to tell you the truth, we proactively told the press that we were giving because the need is about 1.2 million a year, and we only have 250,000. And we said, what if we become a catalyst to our city? What if, we, what if we say to our business people, join us in helping our city? What if we say to the other churches in town, join us in helping our city? What if we become the tipping point for help in our city? Some, some people were concerned that our city officials weren't using the money wisely. It's like, you know what, there's no such thing as perfect leaders. There's no such thing as a perfect congregation. <laughs> Surprising. 
And if there is one, don't go. You'll mess it up. <laughs> you know, I like this part. When the, when the apostles in, in um, Acts 4, what I just read to you, when the people were, began to be generous and sell their property and give it to the people in need, did you notice how they did it? Now, you think about it. How many have been to Israel? Okay, you know, the houses are like right next to each other, right? So you're talking about when it says that they went from house to house and in the sanctuary, like, and, I mean, in the synagogues, like they met from house to house and in the synagogues. How many understand they were meeting house to house before they were ever Christians? There was no TV, there was no radio, there was no entertainment. I mean, what people did is they hung out together. So they just took the structure they already had and they said, oh, let's add Jesus. <laughs> And what I'm getting at is this, is that isn't it interesting that they know Johnny down the street has a need and they sell their, their property or their stuff or their whatever they have that's extra and they don't give it to Johnny. They give it to the apostles. Now, why did they do that? Why didn't they just give the money to Johnny? What I'm getting at is this. Revival doesn't just simulate generosity. It generates honor. They live in community. They know Mary lives down the street, and Joseph lives down there, and Joel lives over here, and Martha lives down there, and all these people have needs. And let's sell, let's sell it, and you would think they would just sell it and give it to the people who had need, but they didn't do that. They sold, they sold their stuff, or got their extra money, or gathered up what they had, and they gave it to the apostles, and the apostles distributed it. What I'm getting at is this. There was a level of trust that is so about revival. I'm trying to say some. I, I feel a little bit of anxiety up here. I'm sorry tonight. I'm just, I think I'm not in the right mode. But my point is this. Jesus believed in people before they deserved it. Well, how do you know that? Well, how about this? He knew Ju Judas was a thief but he made him the treasurer. Why do you make the thief the treasurer? Well, I'd propose that Jesus was doing that with all 12 of them. That he was trusting them because, see, Jesus believed in miracles. He didn't just believe in healing the sick, raising the dead. He actually believed in the transformation of people. How many understand Judas denied the Lord and Peter denied the Lord. One hung himself and one became the head of the church. I'm saying, you have to learn how to fail successfully. Wow. And I'm simply saying, Jesus trusted people before they deserved it. Listen, all of us that have kids, if you're, if you're a good father, you're trusting your sons and daughters before they prove themselves. And it's, in fact, a good father actually gives trust to his children, and they grow up not wanting to break trust. And sometimes they do, and then we give them a way to heal trust, as Peter did, as Peter was given. My point is this, is that if we keep telling city officials, we don't trust you, we don't trust you, you're no good, you're rotten, you're all crooked, you're all da da you're all after money, how did you make so much money? We keep doing that, how many know we end up with self-fulfilled prophecies? At some point, we have to say, everybody makes mistakes, it's easy a year later to go, oh, we shouldn't have went into Iraq. Oh, we, you know, da-da-da didn't happen. Oh, we thought this. Oh, yeah, well, we, yeah, well, you can think that, but when the towers were falling, you certainly didn't think like that. It's funny how quickly we forget the situation we were in when the decision was made. And so sometimes people make bad decisions, but they do it with a good heart. And then years later, maybe three, four, five years later, we look back and go, that was a bad decision. Well, how many have ever made a bad decision in your life? How many ever suffered financially for a bad decision in your life? Yeah, I mean, you know, so what's the point? What's the point? Do you ever see how our city council has to make decisions in our town? We're under Davis-Bacon laws. You know what that means? That means our city council members cannot talk to one another in private except for by two. So if there's a problem, the five of them cannot actually have a private meeting in a room by themselves 
and talk about what the best solution is, they have to actually do it in front of everybody. Can you imagine even trying to solve the problems you have in your family in front of a hostile crowd of 200 people? Yeah, and then you go, oh, they made a bad decision. Well, you were in the room. Because you can't make private decisions in our, in our city. Well, they shouldn't have given those police that, that purse contract. You were in the room when they voted. Well, is that a bad decision? I don't know. My point is this, is that at some point we have to get past. People make decisions. It doesn't, bad decisions. It doesn't mean they're not trustworthy. My goodness, I've made some really bad decisions in this house. I've, I've made decisions that cost us $150,000, $200,000 more than one time. But how many know, if you're, going to have, if you're going to have success, then you have to take risk. And if you always succeed, that's not called risk. <laughs> I'm not, you know, you know, Bill in the front row here all knows, like, I'm not the most trusting person in the world. I probably, the way I grew up, with authority abused in my life, you tend to have to earn trust. So I got yoked to a guy who trusts everybody first, and you have to work hard to show him you're not trustworthy. So I am forever in this like, oh, I should be trusting. But what if it's Judas? (laughs) Then I think, well, what if he thinks it's Peter? What if he's right? There's 11 Peters, only one Judas. It's going to be right more often. You know, it's just that, you know what I'm saying? It's that tension. But I, what I'm getting at is this, is how, well, how much better do people behave when you actually trust them? Come on. Do, you, do you know what I'm saying? Do you, have, you see the coach that yells at the kids yeah. in basketball? I mean, I love basketball. My grandkids play, and they've, some of them have been on good teams, and some of them not so good teams. And some, you know, I've watched my 10-year-old grandson play, and the coach thinks he's coaching the NBA. He's a kid. He just learned about gravity five years ago. Frick, man, give him a chance. He just realized the ball goes up and down less than two years ago. You know, and a kid's just, I mean, it's just like afraid to make a mistake. I mean, that's, it's not the culture we want. I'm saying, that's not the culture we want in our church. And it isn't the culture we want in our city. What I'm getting at is Isaiah 2 says that people are going to come to the house of the Lord and they're going to say, teach us your ways. Our ways are empowering. Our ways are trusting. Our ways are creating a culture that brings out the best in people. Our ways are take a risk. If you fall down, get back up. If you hurt someone, clean up your mess. If you do something wrong, say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Don't make 48 excuses. Just say, I was wrong. And then move forward. Don't stay in it. Don't pout about it. Just move forward. If we're going to treat our people like that, we also have to create a culture for our city officials to succeed. We go to city council meetings and they're like, you know, there's, there, they can, people can speak for three minutes and people get up there and it's never like, thank you for, hey, that street you paved outside my house, thank you for that, thing's been bad for three years. It's always like, oh, no, 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 And they, there's 15 of them every, almost every week. Like, they don't like the amount, the, you know, the ma- city manager makes. They don't like the decision they make. I mean, man, who could survive in that? And I'm like, we just need to get people in there just praying, Holy Spirit. I'm simply saying, we don't just need generosity, we also need honor. You also need to give to our city, and, and they say, where do you want it? Where do you think it needs to go? Put it where you think it needs to go. Well, they might misuse the money. They might. But you know what? Got to work it out. I'm not saying be stupid. I'm just saying, if you give the money with the right heart, it's amazing how it can find, God can... You know, they use it for the wrong thing. God multiplies it over here. I mean, it just works out. But living with the fear that someone's misusing the money, oh, the, you know, the Illuminati. 
Oh, man, I've had so many Illuminati questions from our students. <laughs> Pastor Chris, yes. Do you believe in the Illuminati? No, I believe in Jesus. <laughs> well, I think the Illuminati is trying to ta- take over the world. I say, yeah, it's a secret society, right? Yeah. You know why they're in secret? Because they have no power. Jesus told me right here how he's doing it. Wrote it in the most popular book in the world. Well, do you think the Illuminati is trying to take over the world? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people trying to take over the world. But I read the end of the book, and it doesn't look like they, get, they win. It's like we win. So, I mean, you know, you could just be freaked out all the time, like, oh, you know. The Republicans are taking over. Oh, it's gonna, Trump's going to take over. Oh, my God. Well, maybe, but he's king of kings. So when I don't trust you, I trust him. The last thing I want to say is this, that we have to think bigger. We have to think bigger. Like, you know what? Little people can find a problem with every opportunity. But big people find an opportunity in every problem. I just, I, you know, at times I just get so tired, like, well, there was, something could go wrong. Yes, you could get run over a car while you're talking to me. <laughs> oh, it didn't. Okay, good. Maybe, maybe on your way home. I mean, <laughs> please stop. You're killing me. Like, the Muslims built Dubai in the desert. They have an indoor ski resort. Can you imagine, like, I'd like to put an indoor ski resort. Oh, I've got some reasons why that won't work. Yeah, I've got 100,000 reasons why that won't work. But you can go to Dubai and go skiing year-round. In the summer. Because someone didn't listen to all the people who have a problem with everything. Anybody ever been to Dubai? The city itself, closest thing to heaven. I'm, I'm said, the buildings. There's other things happening. It's run by the Muslims. I mean, at least someone's thinking big. Sometimes I think I think more like them than I think like Christians. It's like, man, just get out of this small. You know, I'm gonna give money, gonna tell you think government's gonna someone's gonna die. Yeah, you're all gonna die. You're all terminal. Can we please start thinking like a king? We gotta think like kings. I'm not saying, be, you know, I, I'm pretty frugal with money. I am. Not at home, but here. With other people's money, I'm pretty frugal. But I don't want to think like a little mouse. I mean, if those guys can build Dubai in, what, 30 years or something? If you've never been there, let's Google it. Like, I've been three times, and lots of our team been more. It is incredibly beautiful. I mean, they don't even have a Chevy. They just have Ferraris, Lamborghinis. I love cars. I'm like... I mean, the whole time, it's like, I love traffic. <laughs> Seriously. I'm like, oh, we're stuck in traffic in Dubai. It wasn't really bad, but it was, we were in traffic for about 15 minutes. I'm like, I love traffic. I hope we don't move. <laughs> Ferraris, Lamborghinis, Mercedes, Bentleys, right, Bill? I mean, there was more of those than Toyotas. I mean, someone has a Toyota, like, they're broke. They must be. <laughs> and I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about people thinking big. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. Christians are discipling zero. Muslims, five. You've got to understand, if you're going to disciple nations, you're going to make mistakes. It's okay. It's going to work out. God's bigger than that. But, you know, if we can't turn a city around when there's 9,000 people in our congregation and probably 35,000, 40,000 Christians in a, in a city of 90,000, yeah. then there's no hope for our nation. Yeah. So we have to turn our city around. When people come to our city, not our church, when they come to our city, they go, oh my goodness, the kingdom has come. <laughs> this place is amazing. From the way people are treated, to the kindness, to the generosity, to the, you know, the streets of gold. Just said that just to get people stirred up a little bit. Anyway, I've gone my hour. Why don't you stand? Let me pray for you all.
We receive that. And by the way, um, you guys that are from outside of Reading, you have the best reputation. Our hotels, our restaurants. I, I was in a restaurant twice this week, and people tell me, you guys must be having a conference. They're the nicest people in the world that come here. You tip really good. You're kind to our people. I'm, I'm being totally honest. The whole team knows up front, right? We, what, conferences come. Our, our students do well, too. But whenever we get an infusion of new people, like our people, just, our, our city just loves that you guys are here. So thank you so much for blessing our city. And we want to we um, be a role model for other cities. We want other cities to churches. We want churches in every city. Like, how do we help our city? Just get out of the four walls of the church and start getting the light out there and take the basket off and do something great. Let's just do something great. Or let's fail trying. But not fail failing. So, Lord, we just pray that you would give us visions of kings. We pray that you would give us kingly visions in the name of Jesus. That the revelation that you put on this house would turn into inventions, innovations, creativity, new cures for, for um, diseases, new kinds of art, new kinds of movies, new kinds of dance, new kinds of engineering, new kinds of energy. Lord, we just pray that the revelation, when it gets on the business world, would have incredible inventions and innovation. Lord, when it gets on the media world, there would just be things that's never been done before. Lord, we just pray that that spirit that's on this house would be on our city. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that every single person would leave this place with a burning heart for their city. That when they get to their city, like, what if we're supposed to change our city? What if we're supposed to be the catalyst to a great revival in L.A., the city of angels? Or San Francisco, the city of St. Francis. Lord, we just pray that no matter how big that city is, that we would see ourselves as kings of a city. Here to empower people to fulfill their divine destiny. Because how many know kings always empower people in God? Amen. Thank you so very much. Wow, that was a great message from Pastor Chris, wasn't it? So good. So good. Well, we're going to close tonight with a fire tunnel. You guys ready for that? If we can go ahead and start having our ministry team... Make your way forward. We're going to begin to form a tunnel up here. If you're visiting here, if if you're new, a fire tunnel is one of the ways that we love to be able to get our hands on and pray for everyone in the room that wants to get prayer. We form a big tunnel up at the front. You walk through and you get prayer. So again, if we can have our ministry team continue to make their way forward, our students. And as we're getting the fire tunnel today, I also want to tell you that um, we also want to make sure we pray for the sick. Um, the fire tunnel is actually not where we uh, sp- specifically pray for the sick, but we have a room right across the hallway to your right. As you go out this side of the fire tunnel, you walk straight into the East-West Fellowship room, and we're actually going to have a crew there praying for, for people who need a miracle in their body. So we'd still love to pray for you if you're sick and you want healing. All right, it's looking good. The tunnel's getting structure. And so as we get ready for this fire tunnel, there's actually going to be two lines down this center aisle. So if if you're in the center aisle, you're going to want to make sure you've got someone next to you so that there's two lines. And then when you come down the middle, you're going to peel off and go down the side that you're standing on.
Okay. We can go ahead and start making your way down. Thank you for joining us. On our website, iBethel.org, you can find our pastor's itineraries who may be visiting a place near you. Chris Valentin will be in San Juan Capistrano, California, March 2nd through the 4th, and Bill Johnson will be in Cedar Hill, Texas on March 5th. Now we want to hear from you. If you have any prayer requests, you can email them to pastor at Bethel.tv. Our team would love to pray for you. And be sure to send us your testimonies as well. We've recently heard a testimony from a man who was watching Randy Clark's School of Healing and Impartation on Bethel TV. He'd had three surgeries over the last decade on his shoulder, and an MRI last month showed a large area of dead muscle. He couldn't raise his left arm over his head or lift anything with his arm. As he was watching, he got miraculously healed, and his shoulder is 100% better, and he can now do all the things he couldn't before. We pray that you would receive your healing and that the power of God would restore your life and your body completely. God is faithful to complete the good work he started in your life, and we believe for his best for you. Thank you for watching Bethel TV and joining us and our Bethel family around the world. We hope to see you again soon.